Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Rush Nation, before we get to today's show, which is an absolute banger, trust me on this, I want to tell you about the Fantasy Football Playbook. Murph and I have been working really hard. Blood, sweat and tears have been pushed into our first publication. It's a book about fantasy football. Shock, this is a fantasy football podcast, but it's got strategy guides for all formats, rookie player profile reviews, Murph's PAS metric, which is exclusive to the podcast and the book. Head over to fiveyardrush.co.uk into the shop and go buy yourself the Fantasy Football Playbook. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? Normally, I start the show with some preamble, but in magnitude of today's guest, I'm going to start it another way, and that is by saying, welcome! Hey, everybody, <laughs> welcome into Five Yard Rush. Today's guest, that's the start of his show. This dude is literally everywhere. He's on YouTube, grinding tape. He writes books that aren't to do with fantasy football novels. He's got his own podcast. It's Christopher Harris from the Harris Football Podcast. Chris, Christopher, what can I call you by? And welcome to Five Yard Rush. Oh, please, Chris. And thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, you didn't quite put the true manic insanity of the screamed welcome at the beginning of your show, but I forgive you for that because no one should. You could burst a blood vessel doing that. (laughs) I thought about it. I thought this is how I'm going to open the show. I'm going to really, you know, pay some homage to today's guest. And then just as I was about to dive into, I remembered I'm a plasterboard wall away from my sleeping two-year-old and thought I should probably (laughs) pull back on the decibels. So yeah, I I didn't nail it, but apologies for that. But no, this is truly an honor. You are, like I was saying before we talked, one of the first podcasts I listened to. I know Murph is a massive fan as well. So yes, have you on is is big time and and we appreciate you coming on. And and if you are watching this YouTube channel that we've got going on, He's got a Harris football background and he's, he's all about the professionalism. So I really am. You make a great point. And I'm sorry I'm not here, but shout out to Murph. I'm sorry he's not feeling great. But well, thanks for asking me. 
fingers crossed hopefully you'll come back and we can and we can run a three-way because i know he would appreciate some time but you you'd run a fantasy football podcast we like to start with some break the ice stuff how did you get into fantasy football and football in general just in the first place yeah yeah i mean it's all an accident uh <laughs> I, I played fantasy for for when i was a kid like school and played like it's a great way to stay in touch with people and i had like a one serious league there's like a 16 team league and i used to write previews for each weekend and we were just joking about that on twitter recently like remember when harris had time to write previews of our fantasy football games every weekend <laughs> were hilarious which i do not have time to do anymore and uh so i i had real job i got mba pretty young a master's in business pretty young and i had real jobs like regular real jobs And what I always wanted to be was a writer. And so I wound up quitting my last real job and going back to school and got a master's in creative writing because really one of what you mentioned it, I write novels. And what I really wanted to do was write like literary fiction and be a snob. And uh, so I went, got into a program and quit and went back and got that degree. And um, people have heard me tell the story before, but I'll say the cute line, which is they, they call it a terminal degree the MFA in creative writing and they call it a terminal degree for a reason because you're basically dead to the professional world once you get it. Like there's not a lot you can do with it. All I really knew was that I didn't want another office job, another real job, I guess. And there was a, there was a contest to become a fantasy football writer for a website that I won that contest. And the, the prize was I could write for them for no money. Um, but Win. Yahoo saw my stuff and Yahoo offered me money to write for them. And then ESPN saw my stuff and offered me from there. So, I mean, that's going back like 15 years ago or something. So that's, I worked for ESPN for, oh no, less than 15 years, but whatever. I worked for ESPN for seven or eight years and now I've been on my own for about five. So one of the things I admire most about you and your podcast is you are a solo act. Now you have guests on and stuff like that, but you are the podcast. And there's been plenty of podcasts that I listen to where there is one guy talking and man, oh man, is it dull. You just get the same monotone stuff and the information they can be providing is gold, but just, it's almost the stuff. Yeah. White noise in the end. Whereas you, you have a way of, and I don't know whether maybe that's to do with your creative writing, whereas you, it's not characters, but you have so many different variances in your voice and the way you talk about stuff differently you have enough change that i didn't get bored i'm still listening so that that's a good thing but thank you yeah like i mean i did tv for so many years and you can't be have to be somewhat i don't know like (laughs) poignant you have to you have to get to it quick you know pithy maybe you'd say (laughs) like you better you got to get to it quick and you got to be sort of somewhat entertaining and change your inflection. And I certainly had no training. Oh my God. I mean, the first time I was ever on TV, it was so bad. I, I wound up like going home to my parents' house and watching my hit on news and just shrinking. And like, oh, so, but you know, you get better. You do it thousands of times and you get better. Um, maybe I bring some of that to it. And also I'm completely cognizant of exactly what you're saying, which is there was a chance that this show could have been so boring. You know, at ESPN, I did a show that was completely my brainchild and I was the uh, driving force behind it, but it was me and a partner every day on, or not every day. We weren't allowed to do it every day. That's the irony of of ESPN is that if they had just given me an everyday podcast and like give me more stuff to do, I probably would have stayed, but whatever. It worked (laughs) out for the better, believe me. (laughs) My bank account is happier now. (laughs) But uh, 
<laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, so I, I've been used to bouncing, you know, that's the whole format of talk radio, right? That's where it comes from. It's, it's entirely like two people and the dynamic. And do you like the dynamic? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the funny guy? Who's the weird guy? The reason I didn't have like a permanent co-host was that I was afraid it would just not work. And I was being, having them like quit their job to do this thing that wouldn't work. Yeah. So the compromise was, okay, I'll do half the show by myself and then half with a rotating cast of characters. And I didn't know that many people who didn't work for, when you work at ESPN, uh, they just did, didn't let you do a lot of guest tips. So I didn't know a lot of the, I just like wrote on Twitter, like, Hey, you're a guy. We've, we've the same. I, we never met, but you want to be my show. And like, everyone said, yes. So uh, it's, I mean, things are really different now. Five years ago, you know, was, podcasting was a lot less of a thing. Um, yeah. It's big time now. It's definitely but turning, big time. yeah, turning it into like half, half me and half a guest. Maybe that like relinquished some of the, I always knew I was going to need things broken up. I was going to have to have pretty crisp takes. I was going to have to be funny when I could be funny, you know, like it was going to have to be a pretty well thought. It couldn't be just like, let's see what's in the news today. You know, yeah. that, that was not going to fly. What made you decide to leave ESPN because the fact they didn't give you a gig is that is that you just thought right i've got this idea i'm gonna run with it or really i mean nothing no no bad i don't have a bad word to say about espn they were great they're why i have the thing that i have now if i hadn't gotten the exposure from espn forget it like there's no way it would have grown as fast as it did it like within two weeks of starting that show in 2015 all of a sudden it was like wait a minute, are 10,000 people listening to the show? Is this being broken? Like, what is, what's happening here? So that's entirely, so I have no, no bad things to say about ESPN at all. It had just run its course probably. Every year sort of felt like Groundhog's year. I had the same tasks every year. Yeah, It was always going to kind of be the same little box. And they tried. They, they are good people. They're smart people there. But they just, you know, there's only so much you can do. And yeah. so, I, it, like, I left without thinking that I was going to start this. I left. I just left. I wasn't the last year I was there. I wasn't happy. And that's dumb to think that you get to do this stupid job for living and not be happy. But I really wasn't. I was like, ah, we'll see what comes next. Life's too short to not be happy, even if I'm questioning why I'm not happy. So yeah, I just left not, not thinking. I, honestly, if I'd left in February instead of left in August, I probably would never have started a podcast. But I had the whole 2015 season like in my head from having prepped that whole summer I was like, well, I always kind of wanted a daily podcast. I only ever had like one or two days a week. Well, I'll try doing five. I'll try it on my own. Wait, how do you make a podcast? I didn't know how to record one. I didn't know how to get ads. I didn't know how to host one. I didn't know a- anything. I didn't know what software to use. I didn't know how to record uh, guests. Nothing. It was a joke. <laughs> it was audacious, I suppose. But yeah, I did not. Yeah. Well, it, it's worked out pretty well. It's definitely yes. worked out pretty well. So you mentioned you write books away from football and that you, yes. you studied for that uh, at college. What what sort of books, for those who don't listen to your podcast, what's your genre and how did you get into actually writing the book? So, you know, I've kind of always wished I could be, just be a fiction writer for a living. It was always, what, what could I be if I could be anything? It would be, be a fiction writer. And unfortunately, we do not live in times that really support for any of those people who get to do that as their only gig. And mm-hmm. I'm not one of them. Like I couldn't live. I, I make something from these books, but you know, not enough to live in a, in a yacht style to which I'm accustomed. Uh, <laughs> so, so um, the books it's, it, and, and another reason why that I'm not probably going to ever write Harry Potter. Like I'm writing literary fiction. That's a little more eyebrow or a little more like, you know, just stuff that doesn't get read as much anymore. We don't really live in the age of 
reading serious fiction anymore, you know, yeah. or sort of read. So like the, the it, it would all kind of qualify under that, but one of them's about actually the NFL. One is about like a small player trying to make in the NFL. That was my first, my first novel. There's one that's kind of a detective story. There's one that's a big long book about a rock band in a time when there aren't too many rock bands that are making it big anymore. And the most recent one, which is the most successful one, uh, it's called Tulsa. They came out in 2018 and it's about, I guess, the apocalypse. Um, it's a, like all the electricity goes out and nobody knows why. And it's five months later and it still hasn't gone back on. And like people are just having to deal with it. And uh, that one did well because people really like the apocalypse. It may speak to something that's going on in our times. Quite possibly, yeah. I, apocalypse stories always do well, whether it's end of world weather or zombies or whatever it may be. There seems yeah. to be some draw towards the apocalypse. But that I was just going to yeah. say that sounds interesting, but you beat me to it because people like the apocalypse. <laughs> they so. do like the apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, so like that, yeah, that that one, I'm in Los Angeles. And so War on Sound had gotten optioned and nothing ever got turned, it didn't get turned into anything. Uh, Tulsa, we're seeing if we can make it into a thing that would be fun but um yeah i mean i'm writing a big big long one now that's going to take multiple years that's kind of about the future and none of these are like super fun reads like i wouldn't say you read tulsa and it's like oh that was a cool kick-ass adventure story some people think that but it's it's kind of interior also i don't know okay interesting well i have to i think i'll check that out because i like an apocalypse story like everyone else so i would check tulsa out so you could be among the hundreds you can be among the hundreds of people who write me an email afterwards and go wait about that ending oh have you just (laughs) ruined it for me you ruined it before i've read it not at all not at all i didn't say what the ending was that's true now i'm gonna have to read it to see if it's good or bad exactly Oh, it's just marketing. It's all marketing. Sold it to me straight there. So NFL, <laughs> NFL, Christopher, your team, who is your team and why? Uh, well, I grew up in New England, so I'm a Patriots fan. I don't really have a choice. They were really bad when I was a kid. <laughs> so I lived through the last 20 years of fun, but I paid for it. Believe me, many times over the years before that. No doubt, no doubt. What's it like being a fan of the greatest dynasty of any sport, in my opinion? Yeah, it's I mean, it's hilarious to think that we would say that 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's just hilarious to think that, you know, they're, they're whatever in twenties and thinking, Oh my God, my team won something. Jeez. <laughs> and then it's 20 years later, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, we're bored with winning. Obviously. Uh, it's, it's really fun. Um, because you just never really question it. You, you know, you just sort of, we're going to be good. Let's see what these games are like. There's, there's certainly fandom is obnoxious as hell. Like yep. the, the entitlement is unbelievable, but like, I'm not watching, I'm not watching with those people. So it's fine. You know, I, I don't read a lot of Patriots themed <laughs> things where people are being idiots, which I know a lot of people do, uh, but just to watch games and to talk about with my family and stuff. I mean, we, we love it. We like, I, I valued every year of that ride. Like every year was fun. They always were, even when they would lose for many years there, they would get close but lose before they went back to three more, like, or four more, I guess. But uh, they, every, it was still like you just, I felt like I appreciated how fun it was. Maybe because I remembered what it was like when they were nowhere close. Yeah, sure. I um, have a question. Murph is a diehard Buccaneers fan, went to college in Florida, um, down, I down shook my near head, him. like, stunned. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tom Brady, now, What's he going to do down there? Obviously, you've seen him close up yeah. being a Patriots fan. 
I know you're not up high on Tom Brady, but as a Patriots fan, you're just in general. Like, do you think the Buccaneers in general have a good chance this year? Or sure, they have a shot. I I mean, so much is going to get going to depend on the cliff comes for everybody, right? And it comes for you, and it comes for me. But it's going to come later for us because we don't have to, you know, for our livings, we don't have to actually perform as a world class athlete. But the cliff comes for everybody, and when it comes, it's cliff. So if it came, it didn't, it, as of last fall, as of last winter, it hadn't. He still was good. So if he's still good, they have a chance. They have a chance. They legitimately, they had a great pass rush last year. I have some questions about whether it repeats, and I have uh, some questions about the secondary, but it could be a pretty good defense. It's okay, good enough. And then it's a lot of offensive skill weapons, and he's, he's an awfully good player. Like, it's hard for me to imagine if he's still himself. They're not going to be a 10-win team. And if you're a 10-win team, you got a shot. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's uh, going to be awesome to watch. Really fun. I mean, for the seven Buccaneers fans out there, eight if you include Murph, uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> it's off the rails. Rush Nation is off the rails. And then for fantasy, Chris, <laughs> where, would you draft Tom Brady as, as your quarterback this year? You know, at the right price, yes. If He would belong to that class of players that I would take late. I'm... I'm always going to wait on in any sort of standard league where where you can stream quarterbacks where there are all, where there are solutions on the waiver wire in any given week if you have a problem at quarterback uh, 100% I'm going to wait until the 10th round to take my QB and if Brady's the guy who happens to be there I might have him 10th on my list of quarterbacks something like that so if he's the one or if Drew Brees is the one or if Carson Wentz is the one or Matt Ryan is the one I'm, I'm comfortable waiting 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 I'm never going to be the one that that bites early on a quarterback because just the opportunity cost of taking a quarterback early costs me at much scarcer positions. But I definitely like, it's a good question because I wouldn't say that about somebody I had rated like QB 17, you know, I yeah. probably would be like, nah, I probably not going to take him. But yeah, I think, I, I think quarterback and tight end are the right positions any year really to, not really so much worry about the downside, what mm. might go wrong, because they're pretty replaceable if they go, if something goes wrong. Like if you wait and you wait and you wait and you take a chance on Brady or you take a chance on TJ Hawkinson or Janu Smith or what, I'd rather do that than take Kirk Cousins or or Greg Olson, you know, because I'm I'm recognizing that they could do nothing, they could fall off the table completely, but they're replaceable. So why not take the shot that they're gonna come out at the top? end of their range of possible outcomes yeah i said exactly the same thing on tuesday's show i said i'd rather take johnny smith three rounds from the end of a draft and then if he's terrible just dump him back to the waivers and grab someone else and, and get value yeah. higher up the draft than draft one of That's the, how I the, feel. the bigger guys but yeah okay finishing off the intro our final question we always ask is what advice would you give to our listeners whether it's talking about writing a book or model trains or yachting if they want to talk about their passion what advice would you give to them in order for them to go out and have a go at it? So I hesitate to, to say my actual answer, which I am going to say, because I'm in a position of privilege in multiple ways. Like I, I'm in a, in a position of privilege in that my time is pretty much my own. I don't have uh, anybody sitting on the other side of the walls over here. There are walls <laughs> behind the Paris football thing. So, so I have, a, I, I, you know, I, it's, I, there are no implications if I crash and burn right? I'm not going to not be able to feed a child. So I, I recognize that it's easy for me to say, but the answer is do it, right? The answer is 
work your way, figure like when I was in my early 20, early mid twenties and I had office jobs, I woke up at five 30 every morning. I walked my dogs and I sat there for an hour and a half and I wrote terrible, terrible, terrible fiction that I thought at the time was unbelievably good. Uh, because you have, you just have to do, there's no, you, you have to do the thing that you want to do. You have to do many, many, many times, you know, just if you want to write, you have to get thousands of pages on your odometer before you, anything that comes out is going to be any good. If you want to do podcasting, you're probably not going to be great at it right away. If you want to do painting, if you want to do model trains, like it's, it's all comes about because you do it a lot. Presumably you do it a lot and you enjoy doing it a lot. And then that's when you get better at it to, to presuppose that, uh, you know, one is going to just decide to do something and be as good as they're ever going to be at it is almost, it would be a depressing thought, you know, it would be like, no, that we want our maestros. We want our people who are good at stuff to have to like work at it. And, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I got, I get that question about writing a lot. Like, how, how do you do a podcast and how do you do all the things that you do? And also you're cranking out a book. And I'm like, well, see what I do is I wake up every day and I write for a couple of hours and it seems to add up, you know, <laughs> as opposed to thinking about writing or as opposed to telling people I wish I was writing, like I just do it. So again, I recognize that that's easy to say, but just. Yeah, it is easy to say, but then on the same token, the amount of time, especially in technology today's world, we waste looking at social media or. Right. At coffee tables we don't need just on our devices if you <laughs> right if, if you get down to writing i know for me when i started writing for our website that i'm not a very good writer i didn't do well at college or school at english because i wasn't but descriptive writing i enjoyed and then when you start writing about your passion which for me obviously fantasy football with this podcast and the website i found it even easier and then the more writing i did the better right. i got and the easier i found it to do and then you find yourself writing on your phone because it's so easy now with your phone. You can just flip open Google Docs and you can have 1,500, 2,000 world article done in a couple of hours. And you think, well, I, was, I would have just been sat watching Below Deck or something on Netflix or <laughs> whatever it is. And I think it's true. I think quite a few people we speak to say, oh, I wouldn't be very good at that. I don't, I wouldn't know where to start. I, th- I think the best advice is, like you said, just do it. Just have a go yeah. because you'd be surprised that you would surprise yourself in the fact that if you enjoy talking about it, then it's so easy. I mean, when I first started interviewing people, I'd be thinking, well, it's Christopher Harris, you know, this guy's one of the big <laughs> podcasts out there. And But then when you actually just get talking, it's like you're having a phone conversation and it's it's no different. Just a person. Yeah, no. I'm, I mean, it has to be its own reward. It has to be, right? Because if I think back about those hundreds and hundreds or probably thousands of hours I spent on those more on those weekday mornings when everybody else was asleep before I would go to work, right. It would be really depressing to think no pages came out of that, that I would ever consider that I would want to show anybody at the time. I thought they were great, but you know, they weren't. And however, it's time well spent because the reward is in the doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're getting enough out of doing it, also, it helps to have no friends, none, no friends, nothing to do. They're like, oh, I got nothing to do. I guess I got to write. It's, it's a great <laughs> strategy. Worked, it's worked for me. I, I, and on fantasy football writing as well, I found that even if you write and nobody reads it, the research you have to do for that writing will make your knowledge about fantasy football better. Yeah. So you, if yeah. you're happy to spend sure. an hour researching for it and you've got a draft coming up and you realize that 
I don't know, this is this is all hearsay, but Damian uh, Damian Harris in New England is actually going to be the running back this season, and you can grab him in the fourteenth round. Then hello, like right. Then you've actually helped yourself. You wrote an article that nobody else read it, but you took your own advice and you got a steal. Exactly, Damian Harris. You're a Patriots fan. Where where are you on him? Uh, I wish I could tell you. I mean, so my shtick, my thing that I do is I watch every game. Right, I watch them all in film. So much of my show, much of my podcast, Mondays and Tuesdays during the season on my podcast are just me going game by game telling what I saw from having watched the film because not everybody's insane. And so most people don't get to watch every single game. Um, so I'm going to base most of my assessment on these people. Obviously, depth chart matters and the perceived situation, it matters. But I try to make the talent be the thing that drives the bus as much as possible. But with Damian Harris, he played like eight snaps last year. So I don't have a lot to go on. I was pretty dubious of the draft pick. I didn't Mm. think he was all that special at Alabama. Um, I'm very dubious of all training camp reports, period. I just don't really believe them. It's kind of my, if if people want to listen to the show today, we record recording this on, what is it today, Tuesday? Mm -hmm. Uh, You can hear like a little five minute preamble about uh, how I feel about all these reports that have been coming out. but by the same token, I, I have Harris in my top 80. I think he's draftable in the 14th round if you want to take a shot. Like, that's fine with me. Doesn't make me upset because as of our talking, neither Sonny Michelle nor Lamar Miller is off the PUP list. It's like, I assume they're both fine, but that could be wrong. And it could turn out that Damien Harris is, is the dude. Um, it strikes me that James White is probably the easiest one to justify <laughs> that among all the others, at least he has some sort of role. But I don't mind Damien Harris. Marvelous. That brings me perfectly onto talking about you watching tape. You said you watch okay. every snap from every game. What's your process to get this done so quickly? And how do you get your first insights out on a Monday? Because there's a hell of a lot of snaps to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, my process is like I stayed locked into my apartment for all, all you know, like so on, on Sunday, there'll be multiple games on over the air. television right at the same time so i'm i'm always watching behind i'm never really a live tweeter on sundays because i'm never live i'm always behind right and i'm i'm sitting there with my laptop and i'm making notes and then the first quarter that game ends and i'll go over that for that game and then i'll do that one and i so i'll get through two games that way and then there might be one afternoon game or maybe there's even two on a treat weekend and i'll get through those games and then there's a sunday night game and so i'll get through that so so by that point i've got like four by the time the sunday night game is over i've got like four that are Maybe my insights aren't fully polished, but I at least have laid eyes on them. I've written down my observations. I'm ready to, at some point, mush them together into what I want to say on the show. And then I'll do usually on either late on Sunday. Usually that's ambitious. Usually I wake up really early on Monday and do two or three more using NFL Game Pass and go play. You know, you can go fast if you're not listening to what they say in between the snaps. You go yep. play, 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 play. And then I do the show, having watched about half the games, and then I get off the podcast, and then I get back on the computer, and I watch the rest for Tuesday's show. Um, and then I do that 17 times, and I want to die. <laughs> yeah, that, that's dedication to your craft right there. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous amount of tape watching. But you know, to, to get to, to what you want to see, you've got to watch it all, right? And if that's the way you get your stuff out there, then you've got to do it. And yeah, I mean, so it's because it's such a barrier to entry because it's so insane to do that. And I've been doing it since early in my ESPN days. It is, it is quite literally a, a 
barrier to entry. No, people don't want to do it. People would rather just look at the box score and go, look like I had a good game. I'm just going to believe the numbers. And yep. sometimes the numbers are right. Sometimes the numbers are wrong. And I'm not, you know, there are a lot of people who just don't have the time to do what I'm talking about, but that's a key competitive advantage I have. I think if people listen to my show, other shows are good and I'm wrong sometimes about what I observe. It's not like just because you observe the game, you automatically know everything that's going to happen in the future. That's clearly not the case, but at least you're getting some, a different perspective and you're getting, you can trust that I saw something, right? Maybe I saw something wrong, but at least it was sort of a hard earned opinion as opposed to yeah, in the locker room. I heard he said he felt great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all right, well maybe he did. Uh, that's fair. So obviously you do rankings and projections, how, Not so you, much projections, but I do rankings. Okay, so with the rankings, do you base them... How do you go about getting them? And then do you base them on last few years' film, uh, film from college if they're a rookie? How do you go about getting to that? Yeah, for sure, a lot. I'd say more of that than anything. But of course, you know, if a running back gets drafted by the Chiefs, I'm more interested in him than if he gets drafted by the Jets. Like, I I'm, I would love to completely just winnow out... Situ- so the my whole uh, sort of pre-draft modus the way i think about this stuff is we rely way too much on what the teams were last season we have a great picture right in our heads right now of what the teams were at the end of december last year but we never are not wrong about what's going to carry over and what isn't and for example the vegas win totals right every you know every team well one third or more between one third i think it's about one third of teams will be more than three games off or more of their Vegas win total. Uh, did anybody see San Francisco's elite offense coming last year? Did anybody, frankly, see Baltimore's elite offense coming last year? Did anybody see Tampa Bay's elite passing offense coming last year? Did people see uh, the Rams tanking? Did people you know, offense turning into poop? Did like I, I worry that the state of our industry is such that we only sort of believe the last thing that we saw. And therefore we assume that we'll ever be thus. So I'll, I've been using the Jets offense as an example because every time somebody comes on my show and talks about a Jet, they go, you know, I'm not that interested because obviously on offense, they're going to suck. First of all, the, the Bengals offense was pretty terrible last year. Joe Mixon had a nice season. So even that wouldn't be a total disqualifier. It depends how you suck, right? But also because Vegas gets the win totals wrong, because teams improve and get worse every year, all the time. I don't want to overweigh situation. Long, long answer that comes back to the thing I feel most comfortable with is what the players themselves are, are what, I, what I believe they're capable of doing, what may, whether they look like they're special or whether it looks like the market is valuing them because of what they view as an open depth chart. Who else is there? Or man, that offense is going to stink or that offense is going to be great. Um, that factors into my thinking, no question about it. But I try to also in, you know, tell you and endorse players who I think are special and can overcome all but the most worst of situations and also tell you the ones who I think, mm, I don't know, if things fall apart and the offense isn't that good, I worry that they won't be able to carry anything. Uh, that's good because that leads me perfectly onto our next bit which is higher and lower than consensus everybody has players that they're higher on than the general fantasy public could you give us one or two 
that you are a lot higher on than than say the Joe average fantasy player or or consensus over at Fantasy Pros if you if you have that information. Who do you really love compared to the rest of the world, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's always a tough question because I I probably don't know. I have I have names for sure, but I probably don't know like who I'm the most. It's like people could probably do like a Excel spreadsheet project and realize that the players I'm about to say actually this other guy you're three rounds higher on than you know. But just off the top of my head, um, I have I've been getting tons of Cortland Sutton. Um, he's he's something like a fourth or maybe even a fifth round pick, and I am super happy to take him in the third. I am a huge believer in his ability. Um, I think the things that smush down his ADP, and he's not that smushed, but to the extent that he's got an ADP that I, I think is lower than it should be is because of all the stuff we were just talking or I was just rambling about. Like, I don't know if Drew Locke is good. Are the Broncos really going to be any good? Like, nah, I don't know. And all I can say is watch Cortland. We're about to put a Cortland Sutton, uh, we're about to put a flag players video up on the, this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're putting up two videos that I've already got in the can. And one, my number one flag player for the year is Cortland Sutton. And I just picked out some highlights. And when you see this dude on 50, 50 balls, just constantly and continuously ripping the ball away from defenders in perfect positions, you just go, don't really care. I <laughs> don't care who, like, he's just, he's going to make plays. Jerry yep. G is there. That's a little nerve wracking, but I don't care. He's just going to make plays. So higher on him, I think, than the market. I'm also higher. I mentioned Le'Veon Bell. I'm higher on Bell than the market as well. And that comes down to the Jets conversation that I don't need to <laughs> relitigate here. But, <laughs> you know, what I'll say about Bell is that he, he had a bad year last year. It was a bad result. No question about it. He didn't make any, he didn't break any big plays. Like it was, it was rough. Uh, he, his offensive line was terrible. It's now 80% changed, but it was 80% changed last year too. So who knows if they fixed it? It was really bad. He was, I think out of 46 qualifiers among running backs, he was 45th in average yards before contact. He was constantly being met in the backfield. I don't think he's cooked. I think it was a situation problem last year. All that disaster said, he finished RB21. He's being drafted RB21. So what the market is telling us is I already know what the Jets are going to be. There's no chance they're going to be any better. There's a 0% chance we need to build any upside into Le'Veon Bell. And I love drafting players like that who I think are still good. And also, like, every player has a range of possible outcomes, even if, because we just don't know what these teams are going to be. So if you're telling me I get to draft Bell at the absolute bottom of his average draft position of his possible range of outcomes and get anything he does better, any improvements that's have made, anything that goes better, that's profit for me, then I'll take him. Yeah, absolutely. Drafting somebody at the complete bottom of this value, the floor, their absolute floor, especially with somebody with like Le'Veon Bell's talent. Right. If good, you could squeeze a bit policy. more, even if you're just going to take him as the running back 21, then he's got the talent to be better than that, like you say. And if you can squeeze a bit more juice out of that lemon, then it could be an absolute steal. Absolute steal. Do you yeah. do... Uh, and I'm also... This this hat right here is a uh, a Denver hat. So I'm there pretty you pleased you're Cortland Sutton take. The guy balled <laughs> out last year. Absolutely balled out. He's, an, he's a machine. Crazy. Um, well, so like he's the, he's the dude who doesn't... I mean, it's Kenny Galladay in a way. I think he's like a little slower than Kenny Galladay, but everything that I've said about Kenny Galladay on my show for a couple of years and it finally manifested last year, I say about Cortland Sutton, like, I don't need him to be fast because 50-50 balls are, are not 50-50 balls. <laughs> you know, like he's, he wins those more often than he doesn't because he's, he's a monster. 
Yeah, and and they're going to. I think from all accounts, they're going to run Jerry Judy out of the slot a lot more as well. So that's only good for Cortland Sutton because he probably sure. won't get double covered if Jerry Judy's maintaining the middle of the field and taking a safety away. So yeah, I like it. I like it for Cortland Sutton quite a bit. Although I did just trade him away in Dynasty, so you've just broken my heart a little bit there as well. But <laughs> can't win everything. Well, I think that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Have you got anybody that you just you don't want any part of? You want nothing to do with this year? Well, of course, you, you embedded in the question is the notion that will all of us, anybody who does this, you know, will take anybody at the right price. Sure. It's not like you know, n- no, I would never want him if it was if he was the last person taken in the draft. Like, well, of course I would. But at their at the point is at their ADP, I'm not getting any Miles Sanders. Ooh, um, interesting because he's now going in the first round, and uh, I've had this. I, I, every time I have this conversation on somebody's show, I then have to preface it by saying, "I'm sorry, anybody who listens to my show who's heard me talk about Miles Sanders 106 times." The, the simple solution would be not to keep bringing up Miles Sanders, just the first name that springs to mind when someone asks me that question. <laughs> uh, so here we go again. Of course, I understand that Miles Sanders is a really good athlete and is really fast. And if he develops into more than the player he was last year, he could be awesome. He could be great. But he wasn't good last year. He was, he, the numbers turned better towards the end of last season, but he was still doing the cutting into his own offensive lineman, cutting away from air, not seeming to see it that well. Uh, making a couple of big plays and then otherwise kind of seeming like maybe he's leaving stuff on the table. There's no way based on what's on film last year, he should be a first round fantasy pick. Now he's a really great athlete and sometimes guys get better and it could absolutely work out. So it's not like I'm sitting here saying, you guys think he's fast. He's not fast. Like, no, I get it. He's fast. He really is. It's just the same things that are getting said about Miles Sanders this year are things that I've heard said about Tevin Coleman and Lamar Miller for like four or five years. Like, what do you mean? Who else is, who else is there? Of course he's going to get the most of the carries. Of course he's going to get all the work. He's, he's fast. He's a really good athlete. He's a sprinter. My goodness. If you can't play though, it like Lamar Miller was always drafted to be RB eight and always wound up RB 17. <laughs> right. Because he's just not, there's, there was always something missing, like whether it's vision, there's just something missing. And Tevin Coleman, how many times did I need to hear how, I mean, the Tevin Coleman verbiage, not so much this year, but every year up to this year, almost was exactly the Mel Sanders verbiage. He's big. He's such a great sprinter. He'll catch the ball and is a beast once he, once he gets going. Like, why is Tevin Coleman not in your top 15 running backs? And I said, because every time anybody's near him, he falls down. Like, it's, I, I'm concerned that a team will fall out of love with him as obviously has happened with miles with uh tevin coleman so i'm not getting him it isn't to say, i think you're if you're drafting sanders where he's going he is going as opposed to Le'Veon bell he's going at the very top end of what he could be and i don't love to draft guys at the very like he has to have an elite season or else it wasn't worth me taking him mm-hmm. um i would rather draft the likes of joe mixon nick chubb josh jacobs Edward Solaire even. Uh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not winding up with Sanders where he's going. We're talking of Edward Solaire. Where have you got him ranked now? He's definitely the lead dog in Kansas. So I have him probably like if he, you know, in some drafts, especially PPR drafts, he's going mid first round. There's just no way I'm not, I'm not going to do that sight unseen for a very undersized player. It worked for one. I was all aboard for sick one. It worked for Zeke 
his rookie year and I was not all aboard Zeke. That was a mistake, but I don't view Edwards Lair as anything like Zeke as a prospect. He's just not, he's not big enough to be like a traditional 300 touch type player. I don't think the chiefs are going to give him 300 touches this year. It's the chiefs offense. So those, even if it's 210 touches, they could be awesome and he could work out, but there's no way I would take him in the first round in any draft. But I think in, in redraft leagues, there's some leagues where he's going mid second and that's fine with me. I, cause, because I understand if I'm going to talk about not loving situation as the primary motivation behind liking or not liking a player, then I have to be willing to grant exceptions. And the Chiefs are, they have Pat Mahomes, they have Andy Reid, they have a pretty clear blueprint to how this kid becomes a major participant right away. There's some bust potential there because we just don't know for sure. I think he's, I loved him in college. I think he's really interesting. I'll say though, like last year, when we if we were having this conversation last year, I would have said, "Yeah, situation. I don't really want to, you know, dwell too much on that." There are a couple exceptions though: Chiefs, Rams. Well, yeah, Chiefs worked out great. How the Rams work out? Like we were sure the Rams had the best offense in the league two years ago. We were sure they were going to come back and still be the greatest show on turf, and their offensive line imploded. Same guys, they just stunk, and everything was crap after that. Like they just weren't a good offensive team last year at all. So even Kansas, it could happen to Kansas City too, uh, but but I am willing to make the occasional exception. <laughs> and then I have one, as we talked about a rookie, I have one final question about rookie running backs. At the start of next season, let's presume Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins are the starters at the Colts and Baltimore. Of those two, which one do you prefer? I guess I'm going to have to say Taylor, but I don't think it's a no-brainer. Like... And, and the scenario that you paint is actually one that I haven't thought of, but it's totally natural. Like Mark Ingram's getting older. Maybe he wins the Super Bowl and he's gone, right? And Matt Marlon Mack is afraid he's probably gone. So that probably is, you're right. That's probably is what's going to happen. I want to be able, I'm, I, I'll put it this way. When I come back on the show, when we do this next year, I want to have the reserve of the right to change my mind because I want to see them in NFL pants. You know, I want to see them. That's yep. really going to be the basis on which I, but at this point, at this point in time, you know, my comp for Jonathan Taylor is Nick Chubb. My comp for J.K. Dobbins is Ray Rice. I would take either one, right? Yeah. I like them both a lot. Uh, I think maybe I would say just for pure, uh, pure locomotive, give me the possibility for that Nick Chubb-esque 80-yard run on any play in a 220-pound body, I might at this moment tend a little bit toward Taylor, but I love Dobbins. So I'm willing to have my mind changed. Okay. The quarterback situation at the Colts with rivers scares me a little bit going into next season. So I prefer yeah. JK coming out anyway. So I'm more of a Dobbins guy, but it's completely fair argument. I mean, I would make the argument that maybe the Colts, maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. Like maybe oh, the Colts okay, don't, yeah. maybe, maybe Taylor's better than, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like who, who knows? Like, there could be some interesting names that change teams next year. And, you know, if, if it's funny, like I, when I've, when I've been defending Aaron Rodgers this year against the onslaught of hatred that he apparently is inspiring, I still view him as a top 10 option. Um, I will, I will grant that if everything goes bad again, well, they, they just drafted Jordan Love. So there's a great chance Rodgers is like the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars next year, but Hey, why not the Colts? <laughs> yeah i mean they they went after a proven guy in phil rivers right why not rogers right that'd be better <laughs> just just a little just a little let's talk some almanac you sure 
have an amazingly deep resource of analysis, uh, huge fantasy assets. What made you start writing the Fantasy Almanac? And, and for those of us that don't know what it is, Chris, what is it? So it's this thing that I write every spring and summer, spend like three months writing a profile on everyone. There's like 250 player profiles and mostly it's a joke delivery mechanism. Mostly it's, and I'm actually interested in, from your, in your perspective, like it's not like humor isn't worldwide, but I'm sure there are some gags in there where you're like, what now? I don't get that. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're not yeah, exposed yeah. on the minutiae level to the stupidest of the American culture, maybe. <laughs> uh, do, do you have that experience ever when you look at it? Uh, occasionally, occasionally. Yeah. But I think yeah. possibly because of how deep I am into fantasy football and my relationship with, with just Americans because of it, maybe I have a slightly more right. skewed towards your version of humor than perhaps the standard British fantasy football player. I don't know. But there right, are definitely right, some right. stuff and I'm thinking... But, Man, I didn't, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, who is that? Who is that person? I also, uh, you know what? Probably it's not continental. Probably it's age. Like I'm just old and I'm making references to like, remember that vaudeville show? That was so awesome. And people are like, what's vaudeville? <laughs> uh, I'm not that old. But uh, so yeah, I spend time, uh, you know, long, long time. Rewatch film on just about everybody. I come up with, you know, my justifications for ranks and make a lot of jokes. And it's PDF. Uh, it's actually the PDF is actually hosted by a company in the UK called Send Owl, and uh, they like so when you order it, you get it right away, and it's this giant thing. So, so what made me start it? Uh, you want can I can I tell you a little story? Please I haven't told do. the story much. Please do. So, I'm gonna I'm I'm sorry if people are bored by my wonderful stories. Uh, so when I was at ESPN, one of the one of the tasks that I had to do when I when I first started there, I was covering everything that you could cover because I was doing baseball, I was doing football, I was doing uh, NASCAR. I was part of the original cast of NASCAR Now. Didn't know anything about NASCAR, but pretended. And uh, as I went along, after the first couple of years, they, they started to let me focus on football. That was the thing I liked best. But one of the requirements was, okay, that means when the winter comes, when everybody else is prepping for baseball, you have to write the profiles for that print magazine that you would get on the newsstand or that you'd get in the mail mm-hmm. that was like the ESPN fantasy football draft magazine. So all of those profiles were, would, would be like 200 words about everybody, you know, just boom, 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 boom. I wrote those. And it was a, it was a pain because you're writing them in like February and March. Stupid really, because, but that's the way print was, right? You had, you had to have such a big lead time and they wanted it on the newsstands early, early, early because it would maximize, you know, people would be buying it all summer it was frustrating to write that it was so early, but whatever, it was my job. So I did it and uh, I did it for several years. So when I left and did my own thing, I finished the first season of doing the podcast. I was in Austin that winter and I had a meetup with, with fans. And one of the people at the bar that we met up at said, Hey, you, you, you used to do write that magazine, right? And I'd be like, yeah. And he said, you should do that on your own. And I was like, well, I thought of it, but what are you, what are you talking about? Like it was a PDF and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm not that dumb. I understand I could deliver it electronically and not as a magazine, but it's such a massive undertaking. It takes months to write. I mean, what if I sold 50 copies? I would be really bummed. I spent all that time. And he, he was like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he, 30 seconds later, he was like, yeah, but why don't you do a Kickstarter? And I, and I said, oh yeah, that's pretty smart. And he said, yeah, what you should do is 
do it as a, like as, as a fun, quote unquote fundraiser. And if you get to a certain amount of money, you will agree that you're writing it, whatever that amount of money that you think it's minimum amount to, to do that it's worth to you. And if you don't you give her, it's their money back and you don't write it. Yep. I said, I mean, that's pretty smart. If, <laughs> honestly, if he hadn't have said it, I never would probably would have taken the plunge. So I did it. I announced the Kickstarter on the show. I, I put it out there and said, put, you know, donate up to like, I think it was like I said, 15 bucks or something. And if, if we get enough, up, if we get up to X, X dollars, then I'll do it. And it got there in like three days. <laughs> so I was like, like I guess... I guess I'm writing this almanac. <laughs> and the first, the first time I did it kind of like the magazine had been. Yep. And then as the years have gone by, I was like, why am I constraining myself? I can write however much I want about everybody. So the, I think every year the profiles get longer and jokier and sillier. And I obviously no longer need to do a Kickstarter. So now I just say, hey, it's for sure. trusting that people will buy it. Yeah, it is full of snark, full of jokes, like you say, for... A fantasy football guide it is very light on numbers and goes into more depth about what players will bring to the game, which makes it unique. And, and like you say, it is completely yours and gets longer every year. And so, yeah, as a guide, being numbers light, it's quite refreshing read as well, as opposed to just picking up something that is like stats, 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 this guy. Right. And it has it has their basic stats in it. It, you know, so like you're gonna know. I, like I have, I have some good, I think, non-traditional metrics in there, like yards, average yards at the catch, and targets per game, and stuff like that. Kind of the still basic stuff. But you're right. I'm, I'm never gonna use. That's 100% right. I'm never gonna use number as the justification. Well, don't you know? He finished 13th in yards per carry. Like he's awesome. That's probably never gonna be me. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find it? And and where is it? Yeah, where, Harris, where can you get it? Harrisfootball.com. If you there's it's it's a menu item there in Harrisfootball.com. You can find it if you if you like. Marvelous. And stuff. I have an, I I update it three times in uh, two times in August. So I've already done one update. And so if you if you get it now, you'll get the August 14th edition. But there's an August 28th edition coming, and you'll be able to see what I changed. I I like just put it in different colored type, and I, you know, so you'll be able to quickly flip through and see what ranks changed and what I changed over the course of August marvelous stuff chris we like to finish with one super spicy hot fancy take for 2020 what have you got that's going to blow the lid off this jam jar of chili (laughs) that was so british uh (laughs) jam jar of chili uh spicy i'm not like mr spicy um what's the hottest take i can offer i'd like to offer a good one what would be like a positive positive spicy take uh, how about the jets since i was on jets the jets do not finish as a bottom 10 offense that's good that they're 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 pretty close to a league average offense and therefore they support multiple relevant fantasy players i mean that's, that's not that spicy but that, yeah no i, I, I think honest. it depends i think it depends who you ask that we have a college podcast and the host tom on that is a jets fan so he will massively think that that's the spicy take and, <laughs> and will hugely appreciate it as well so two birds with one stone i think it was a jam jar of oatmeal like kind of like lukewarm <laughs> when that when that spicy i mean i'd love to be able to say i'm positive that Todd Gurley scores 18 touchdowns, but I'm not. <laughs> okay, how about this for a spicy tape? Saquon Barkley should be number one in all drafts. Yep, that's, that's not, not very spicy. Is that okay? Is it spicy? Because everybody has them too, so it's like doesn't seem that spicy. But 
I like Barkley over McCaffrey. Um, I obviously understand why McCaffrey's coming off a truly historic season, so there's no... I'm not getting mad about people loving McCaffrey, but I think people are forgetting what Saquon Barkley can do. So there's, you genuinely think Barkley could finish as the RB1? Yeah, I have him ranked there. Oh, there you go. That's, if, I that's... Have the, if, if I have the one pick, I'm taking Barkley. See that? I saved the spicy chili for accidentally saying it last. <laughs> there you go, Rush Nation. He, he started with oatmeal and finished with a... I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what the hottest chili in the world right now is. I know Calor- it was a Carolina Reaper, but who knows? Who knows? Chris, this has been a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It was so fun. Um, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your podcast, website, and everything. And the Almanac, again, obviously you said harrisfootball.com, but is there anything else they should know, your Twitter or anything else like that? Everything's Harris Football. Yeah, so um, I am Harris Football on Twitter. Uh, HarrisFootball.com has a link to all the stuff. Uh, the YouTube channel is uh, YouTube.com slash Harris Football, or it's also linked to from the site. Uh, I'd love it if people want to check it out. If, it's, if you're sort of already too deep into your draft season, I get it, but uh, maybe check in during the season because i think at the very least you probably will get different stuff out of my show than you do from a lot of other shows again because i'm insane and watch all that all those games so at least you're getting some some like first first hand opinion absolutely i can guarantee you will get some different stuff over at harris football chris like i said thank you so much for coming on appreciate your time massively and when murph's back we'll hopefully have you back on absolutely i can't wait and i hope murph feels better thanks for having me on Thanks, Chris. Right, Rush Nation, you heard it here. That was Thursday's show. That was Chris Harris. And as always, don't forget, keep rushing. a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.